Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of The Water Cooler. We had a very hectic week in the world of football, but before we get started, we're going to hop in with the performance of the day. So we're going to start off with, I know Levi's already done this in the past, but I just want to highlight it again because I just watched Peacock's Kurt Angle documentary over the weekend, and it is so good. And so for the performance of the day, I'm going to go with Kurt Angle in the finals to qualify for the Olympics with a broken neck, going up against one of the best wrestlers in the world. I forget the guy's name, but he was just going for Kurt's neck the entire time. You can see in the footage from the documentary, he just keeps slapping at the back of his neck, pushing down on it, putting uh, his forearm on Kurt's neck, like just targeting in a brutal way that on one hand is kind of makes you be like, I don't know, that's not too nice. You shouldn't do that. It shouldn't act that way. But on the other hand, you got to respect, I guess, the hustle of somebody trying to make the Olympics, exploiting every possible weakness he can. But Kurt Angle and his team were so smart that they were able to anticipate that would be his game plan. And then use that to their advantage because by going after Kurt Angle's broken neck, the guy left himself open and so Kurt was able to get a bunch of takedowns just by that guy overextending himself by reaching out for Kurt's neck and Kurt would go down and take his legs out. And it's just super cool to watch it in the documentary, the way they just show his struggle. They even show the uh, match where he broke his neck and I'd always you know heard and he always talks about in his promos he won a gold medal with a broken freaking neck but actually seeing the video of how he got his neck broken was just brutal like I've seen people break their necks like Steve Austin for example did it by getting dropped on his head but I've never seen it happen where somebody like Kurt Angle got thrown face first into the wrestling mat and his face like basically caved backwards on itself and it was just kind of hard to watch and really just mind-blowing that a human being can be so tough and withstand that it just makes you realize how much of a different level these olympic level athletes truly are on where i mean if i broke my neck I would probably be paralyzed for the rest of my life or dead. But Kurt Angle, his neck is just so thick that he can withstand that and not only withstand it, go on to complete compete at the highest levels of his sport and win Olympic gold like internationally. It's just insane. So I had a tremendous amount of respect for Kurt Angle before I watched the documentary. But watching it and just seeing it in front of me, it's a completely different experience. I would highly recommend not only watching his actual wrestling matches, but also if you got Peacock, watch a documentary. It's entertaining as all get out. So that being said, let's get into college football. We've got the biggest news coming out of this weekend is Aaron Rodgers' Achilles injury. What that does for the New York Jets' chances at making the playoffs, what it says for Aaron Rodgers' career. So, to start off with, I think that just the injury itself 
kind of threw me for a loop because it just happened like five plays in. You know, Aaron Rodgers, he makes this big entrance. It's on 9-11 in New York against another New York team. So it's very emotional just from that. He comes in. He's waving the American flag, kind of saying, like, New York, I'm the man now. He's holding the flag. He's going to take New York football to the next level. And then next thing you see, five plays in, he tears his Achilles. I saw the video on ESPN, the way his calf just pulsed. It was kind of like Kurt Angle breaking. It was hard to watch. But somehow the Jets were able to pull it off and get the win without A-Raj. But the reports are that it was an Achilles tear, and it's going to be tough for him to be 39 years old. He'll be 40 in a couple months. And to rehab and to do all that stuff at his age, it's possible, like I was just saying about Kurt Angle, these top-level athletes, they have endurance and healing capabilities and they got the money to get the best trainers and get the best rehab specialists. So it can be done. That being said, I think we just saw the last of Aaron Rodgers as an A-level NFL quarterback. Which is sad to say because Aaron Rodgers is one of the defining performers of his generation. And to see him go out like that, like five plays into what was supposed to be his next chapter. That's just not the way that you want to see yourself go out, or even that anybody wants to go out, period. But I said last week that that game would show the ceiling or the floor for the Jets, and unfortunately they managed to fall through the floor. Because I think with Aaron Rodgers gone, I don't see them going that far I mean maybe Wilson can show us differently but they're currently getting beat by the Cowboys as I'm recording this live stream so any any title contention hopes they had are long gone now I think they're just fighting it out to see if they can make it into the playoffs of the wild card and I don't expect them to ESPN just released today saying that Aaron Rodgers there's a slight chance that he makes it back by the end of the season and they said that it would depend on a bunch of different things like how good are the Jets doing how good is his backup doing how is his rehab coming along all these different options but there's no need for him to rush back I think that would be a disaster just because you see so many examples of great athletes who suffer an injury and try to do all that they can to rush back prematurely and it ends up setting them back even farther than they were when they started. So I hope Aaron Rodgers just takes the time to recover on his own time and doesn't take the season into account as far as his timetable for making the comeback. He just needs to call it a wash on this season. But I wouldn't be surprised, too, if he contemplated retirement. He was on the Pat McAfee show. He was saying he would be back. I think that the only reason he won't retire is just because he doesn't want his story to end this way, but before the season even started, he was saying that he was 90% retired, and he did his whole darkness retreat, 
and he came out, changed his mind, went to the Jets. So he's already strongly hinted that retirement is something on his mind. And I don't see how tearing your Achilles makes it less of a appealing step to take just because he's done pretty much all there is to do except for win a second Super Bowl. Like, Tom Brady has set the standard where quarterbacks can play until they're 45, but most quarterbacks don't. Tom Brady, he's the exception to the rule, not the rule. And people don't need to start putting those Brady-like expectations on other athletes, particularly quarterbacks, just because it's the easiest one to compare to Brady straightforwardly. But Brady is insane. Like, you can't just expect everybody else to start being that way just because Brady was able to do it. Aaron Rodgers making it to 39, period, is impressive in the grand scheme of football history. So for us to act like he should rush back because he has so many more good years left, he was playing great football a couple of years ago. I mean, you can't deny that, but... I also don't think that he needs to put himself in a scenario where he turns out to be Kobe, where he tears his Achilles, comes back, and he's just a shell of himself for two or three years until he can realize how far past his prime he is and he leaves. So I think Aaron Rodgers should really look into retiring. And honestly, the Jets might want to look into trading him because... Before he announces whether or not he comes back or retires, whatever it may be, his stock value as a trade asset will drop drastically if he comes back and underperforms. So the Jets' best chance to make a deal would be to do so with the idea that maybe Aaron Rodgers can heal, rehab, and come back and be something close to what he was before his injury. I don't even think that's likely, but they might be able to sell some desperate team on that. If they wait for him to come back and then show that he's like 2015 Kobe, then they're just stuck with the massive contract. I mean, maybe it might be better if they just paid him out and he could be a free agent in rehab. He still gets his money. And it's not like they're just being brutal and leaving somebody who got injured for them out in the cold. Pay, I would pay out his contract, give him his money, and give him the wherewithal to rehab on his own time without duty to a team. He can focus on himself. And whenever he gets back to what he thinks is football shape, talk to other franchises and see what the landscape looks like. So that's all I've got to say about Aaron Rodgers. I hope that he can manage to come back and be somewhat of a great quarterback. I don't think he'll, I don't think he'll ever be the same, but for his career to end like that, I think is just it's sad. But it happens a lot. I mean, that's sports. That's what happens when you get to be 39 and you're still playing football. It's football of all the major professional team sports. That's not an old man get old man's game despite what Tom Brady might have you believe so more power to A-Rod I hope he does what he thinks is best for himself 
and I hope he takes his time and gets healed up. But as far as the rest of the NFL goes, I don't think anything too crazy has happened so far. I know the Falcons, I think, got a big win today. The Chiefs bounced back from their week one loss. They beat the Jaguars 17-9. to So, unfortunately, Trevor Lawrence does not get to put knocking off Patrick Mahomes on his NFL resume just yet. But hopefully the Chiefs can get back into great football shape, not only because I want them to be able to make a good playoff run. I think the NFL is always better when the former champion team comes back and makes a competitive run and just adds to the drama. But also, Patrick Mahomes is my backup fantasy, or is my starting fantasy quarterback. So, the more points he can put up, the better off I am. I think having Travis Kelsey back this week was a big plus for the Chiefs. I mean, it never hurts to have one of the best tight ends of all time come back to your roster. But his presence was definitely the major reason they lost week one. And... Hopefully, he can get back and be recovered and start doing what it is he does best, and that's put the football in the end zone. So, with the NFL being said, college football wasn't really that... I'm trying to think of the right word here. Like, everything that we thought was going to happen happened yesterday, but the best story so far this college football season has been Coach Prime in the Colorado Buffaloes. Now, they dropped a point in the rankings this week because they went to double overtime with Colorado State. They've been by far the most interesting story. I mean, Georgia, they're number one. They almost got beat by USC yesterday, but USC got gassed out and blew it in the second half. I mean... Their schedule is absolutely pitiful, so it's, it's, there's not a lot of competition there to keep you interested. They're going to cakewalk to the playoffs, and the way it's looking now, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday. It just does not seem possible for a team to three-peat in college football, so I'm not going to bet on them to do it, but at the same time, I have no idea who beats them because they're at this point they're just a juggernaut and I when I look at the landscape I don't see a team that can beat Georgia but I also can't see them three-peating so whoever does end up in the national championship it'll be wild to see what happens I don't know when the last time college football had a team go undefeated in two back-to-back seasons but Georgia has a good chance to do that this year. But Alabama, they were pitiful yesterday. Almost lost to uh, South Florida in what should have been a blowout bounce back win after losing to Texas. But they end up just embarrassing themselves and showing the world how poorly they have it at the quarterback position. They benched Jalen Milrow to see what their other options were. 
And it turns out those options weren't a whole lot. I mean, the third string guy, I forget his name, he did the best out of all of them, which is really not something you want in your quarterback lineup when your third string quarterback, not when your third string quarterback is better than the backup and almost as good as the first string quarterback, you got problems. I think Jalen Milrow is still definitively the best of the three, but that third string guy, I forget his name, pardon me for that, but he looks like he's okay. Like, definitely better than what you would expect a third stringer to look like. But it's just a sad state of affairs at Alabama football to see them struggling to beat South Florida. And, I don't know, it just really has me questioning how how much longer they can continue to go and still be considered to be carrying on the same dynasty. Because if Alabama doesn't win the national championship this year, which they, I guess you can never say never, but odds are that will not happen. This would be the longest stretch they've gone without winning the national championship since the Saban era started. And Saban's 70 years old, so I don't know how much longer he'll be able to keep going. Just not a good time to be in Tuscaloosa, which... I no longer am, so I don't got to worry about the psychological impact of having the agony of defeat in a pitiful season hanging over my head 24-7, but as somebody who has been in Tuscaloosa during down times, losing to LSU and Tennessee for starters, it does permeate the entire campus when you're down there, and Alabama getting beat. I try to explain this to people here at Georgetown whenever we start talking sports and stuff. Like, when Alabama loses, classes have to take, like, a brief part of the beginning of class to explain to these students that it's all going to be okay and that it's just a setback. Like, only in Alabama can a football loss hurt you so much that teachers have to have a somber start to class to have a heart-to-heart about prioritizing your education over your college football team's chances. And it's just really interesting to see it play out in real life. But it's just, it's hurt seeing Alabama football fall so far, so quickly. I mean, national championship two years ago to number 15 now, or 13 in the AP poll, that's a brutal distance to fall. I mean, we were number two or number three to start at the poll this year, and now we're already, we've dropped 10 spots in two weeks. So that's hard. But like I was saying at the beginning, Colorado and Deion Sanders have been the talk of this season. He was having beef with the Colorado State head coach. So in the presser leading up to the game, the Colorado State head coach said that his mama taught him to take his hat and glasses off when he talks to people. And he didn't say Deion Sanders by name, but it was clear who he was talking about. Because Deion, he's always in his post-game interviews 
He's got his shades and his cowboy hat on. And, I mean, look, I grew up in an old school way. Like, I've always heard the whole you take your hat off inside, you take the glasses off when you're talking to somebody. Like, I get it, but at the same time, it's just a stupid reason to take shots at somebody. And it's just unnecessary. It makes you look like you're punching below the belt. It makes Dion. I just don't. If you're an opposing head coach and your team is projected to be the underdogs, why would you throw rocks at the other team's head coach that, one, gives him and his team something to rally behind and all the more reason to take your team out? And two, when that head coach is Deion Sanders, you've got to know that the media is going to come to his defense just because as lightning, as big of a lightning rod as Deion Sanders is for both very positive and negative opinions, most of the sports commentators these days are former NFL players who either played with Deion Sanders or played against or grew up watching Deion Sanders. And he knows them. Like, they're friends. If not friends, they at the very least know each other well enough to where they have some type of interpersonal relationship. Whereas you are a no-name Colorado State head coach, they're not going to take your side. So, I mean, the Colorado State head coach has pretty much just been taking a beating in the media all week, from what I've seen at least. He gave Dion and them a run for their money. It went to double overtime. Great game. It was... Uh, Dion and them ended up winning 43-35, to 35, but it was just a complete quarterback shootout with Shadur Sanders coming out on top. He threw 38 of 47 completions with 348 yards versus Braden Nikolski, who threw 34 of 47 completions and had 367 yards. Now, the reason I say Shadur came out on top when he threw for less yards is because he only threw one interception, whereas Nikolsky threw three. So, I mean, that goes without saying. I don't know if you can throw three interceptions and still be considered to come out on top when your stats are that comparable. But Colorado, even though they did win, they dropped a point in the rankings just because it was such a close game against such a not supposed to be competitive opponent. But, I mean, still, it's just more stuff to talk about. Deion Sanders is entertaining as all get out. And I really hope that he can continue to take this Colorado team forward and build off of what they're doing. Shadur has been a stud so far. And shoot, Saban might ought to look at trying to get him to turn on his daddy and go in the transfer portal, suit up for Alabama. That or get Arch Manning to come over, something. Alabama needs a quarterback. Shadur Sanders needs the big stage. I think the two of them might could come together. <laughs> Maybe whenever him and Dion do those Aflac commercials together. I don't know if Dion brings Shadur or any of his kids to the film set when they do those commercials, but... Saban might want to pull one of the kids aside at catering and 
kind of make a pitch to him. But I think Dion's been doing great so far. I hope he just continues to be himself. I know college football and football as a whole is a very tradition-based, tradition-oriented sport. The culture is very monolithic and that everybody just kind of takes on, all the coaches take on the same grumpy, kind of boring demeanor. demeanor. But Dion's kind of injected a lot of life and a lot of fun into Colorado, it seems like. It seems like his kids, his uh, players, I always slough up and refer to people my age or slightly younger as kids. Sometimes it's hard to look in the mirror and remember that you're 22 going on 23 years old. Or in the case of Dion and his football team, that they're all men. But his players, he's definitely given them a major motivational boost and it's been fun to watch. They seem like they're having a blast out there. Dion seems like he's having fun. So how they just keep it up and continue to, you know, spread the enjoyment, make football a fun game to be a part of, not focus on the rankings. And obviously you want to win, but just don't take it too seriously. And I hope maybe more college coaches can look at Dion as an example to just give some personality in more than just your dress and appearance actually have character when you talk have fun laugh they always put on the same stern uh post-game press conference face and the neutral tone of voice and the best you'll get as far as humor is a sarcastic dry insult but hopefully Dion can loosen up a little bit going to the nba i think lebron james must be watching the water cooler and if he is I don't take back any of the bad things I've said about you in comparison to Michael Jordan over the last two years. But LeBron has apparently started a behind-the-scenes recruitment movement to enlist Team USA with some of the biggest stars in the NBA. So I'm all in favor of that. That being said, though, it is exactly what I said last week, how the pattern is for Team USA basketball. We send our best guys, we win consecutive years to the point where we get complacent, we stop sending our best guys and start sending some young guns, then they get upset and the best guys come back to revenge and, you know, put America back on top, and then we win for consecutive years, get complacent, they quit going, rinse, wash, and repeat. So... Now we're in the downturns part of that cycle, and it's time for the big guns to come back and save the day. Now, I'm all for LeBron's, uh, mentioned it, Steph Curry, Jason Tatum, Kevin Durant, like all the biggest names, and I think that would be great for the game of basketball if they were to go out and win the competition. But I've seen a lot of commentators talking about how that would be terrible and that they don't need to waste their time in international competition. Like, I'm sorry. And when I say commentators, Skip Bayless, Chris Broussard, Steve, like all the big talking heads have all pretty much universally said it's a bad idea. I just, they're out of their mind, I think, because if you're LeBron James and you're 
37 or 38. Let me look it up real quick. But he doesn't have... He's 38 years old. He'll be 39 in December. He doesn't have that many years of playing competitive basketball left. If I'm LeBron, I want to get as much enjoyment out of my last playing years as I possibly can. And that includes doing all the things one last time. Go to your last Olympics. Because by the time the Olympics comes around again in five years, he'll be 44 years old. Uh, this is LeBron's last chance to do the Olympics. Why would he not want to do it? And they say, oh, you might get hurt. You don't want to jeopardize your NBA career. Why not? I mean, honestly, if LeBron James retired tomorrow, he would go down as, at worst, the third or fourth greatest basketball player of all time. And that's me. Most people have him second or as the GOAT. It's not like his career, he's at some defining moment where anything could happen and it just takes a couple more seasons for him to prove his legacy. Like His legacy is set. And it's not like if he retired or say he gets hurt and pulls a Paul George. He's not going to be hurting for money. The dude's a billionaire. I mean, at... Do I think the Lakers will be title contenders this year? No, I don't. Do you know until you see it for sure play out? No. They made the Western Conference Finals. Anything can happen. But For them to say that LeBron should hold out because he's risking injury, to me it's just, I don't know, it just shows that the game of basketball has just, become way more of a business than it is about the actual love of the game which I mean duh it's a multi-billion dollar corporation but to me for somebody who's so secure in their position as LeBron James he should be able to do what he wants to do and play the game that he loves without having to catch flack from all these talking head jabronis on ESPN or first take or fought sports, or even, heck, me. If I'm LeBron, I don't care what people say. I'm a billionaire. I'm a four-time NBA champion. I'm the all-time leading scorer. He should, if anybody should be able to do whatever they please in a basketball context, it's LeBron James. He's earned the right. He's been doing this for, what, 20 years now? 20, going in year 21? Let the man play in the Olympics and don't criticize him or jump down his throat. Same goes for Kevin Durant. Now, KD is not as secure as his legacy is, in his legacy as LeBron is. But, I mean, so what? He's had some injuries, and he goes and plays in the Olympics. It's not hard to just not phone it in, but he doesn't have to be gunning like it's Game 7 of the NBA Finals to beat Serbia. Really, you shouldn't have to. They've also talked about uh, Joel Embiid getting his U.S. citizenship just so he can play for Team USA. So if they could manage to do that, then that would be a major pull for Team USA. Hopefully he could do that. I don't think we need him. We shouldn't need him. But, but at the same time, if Joel Embiid's wanting to play for you, you don't say no. So I think Team USA is 
in a lot better shape because of this loss than it was beforehand. I just don't get why it takes getting a bronze medal, or not even, we didn't even get the bronze, not meddling in FIBA for all these players to suddenly care about representing Team USA. Like, it shouldn't be up for debate that the best players would play for Team USA, which should be the best basketball team in the country. At the very least, like every other year, I feel like every generation should have their redeemed or their dream team. Like, if you grew up in the 90s, you got to see the Avengers assemble in 1992. If you grew up in the 2000s, then you got to see them assemble again in 2008. Like, I don't know, every, once every 10 years, you should get that, like, generational, like, Justice League squad come together and just be the absolute best of what basketball has to offer. But we'll see how it all shapes out on that front. And baseball is marching closer and closer to the World Series or I don't know what they should, the National Series if the track star is anything to base your terminology off of. Unfortunately, Shohei Otani has recently gotten injured and will miss the remainder of the 2023 season. He hurt his oblique, but he's only on a 15-day DL. It's not like the Angels are really the prime time team that you would think they would be with Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, but so it's not like they're going to miss out in the playoffs or anything because they're already not making it, I don't think. And he's already a lot to win the MVP and maybe even the Cy Young. So, I mean, it's a wrap early for a great season, but, I mean, he couldn't have done any more than he already did. So, I hope he enjoys his offseason. I hope he gets better quickly. And it's just crazy when you look at what Shohei did this season from an individual standpoint he was the MVP of the World Baseball Classic he's probably going to win MVP of the MLB there's a good shot he wins Cy Young too he's just by far the best player in baseball in the world and it's a shame that he's on the Angels and that he's spending all these great years as the star of a team on a terrible franchise but what are you going to do I don't know when his free agency is but hopefully the Angels can get it all together before he leaves them I don't know if Shohei's built like that but I mean still it's it really kind of tears me on the inside as far as what should happen because on one hand I'm very pro players stay with the team that drafted them for as long as you feasibly can but it's also you don't want to see a great player waste his time on just a deadbeat franchise that has no hope or no future like I would like to see Shohei play meaningful basketball 
or baseball. So, I don't know, it's kind of conflicting. I mean, you can always just say, oh yeah, if you're the best player in baseball, just go play for the Yankees. But, <laughs> I don't know what he could do to make the Angels a premier franchise, the MLB. But I hope they can figure something out, that he can have those meaningful baseball games and not have to leave. But we'll see how that goes. Bartolo Colon has officially retired with the New York Mets. The longest tenured player in the league from this moment. He played for the Mets for... I don't even... I think he just signed with the Mets to come back. But anyways, he made his debut in 1997. And I guess he just signed a one-year contract, or a one-day contract with the Mets, even though he hasn't pitched a game in five years. But... He signed the whole one-day deal, came back to throw out the first pitch as a New York Met. But he played for almost 30 years. Or almost, he played for 21 years. I'm not good at math. There's a reason I'm going to law school. And he was an all-star for four years, when, as well as a Cy Young winner. So, I mean, great career coming to an end. He is uh, the last player from the 1990s to officially retire. Him and Adrian Beltre were the last two. Adrian Beltre hasn't played since 2018 either. So I'm guessing he is officially retired. But it's sad to see 90s baseball come to an end in an underwhelming way since in all intents and purposes Bartolo has been retired for five years but still that is officially the end of the 90's in the Major League Baseball League I think that let me look it up I think all the 90's NBA players are gone at this point yeah all the 90s players in the NBA are gone. The NFL is definitely already out. So I guess this might also be the end of the 90s in professional sports. So if you're from the 90s listening to this, you probably feel very, very old right now. And see, if you're a fan of athletics, that is where watching WWE comes in handy because if you grew up in the 90s, or if you're from the 90s era, things have hardly changed since you were watching. If you turn it on uh, AEW this week, you'll see Sting there in his face paint just like he was in 1997. You'll see Chris Jericho. You'll see uh, who else is still around? Christian. All these great old school 90s wrestling stars. They hang around until they get forced out of the ring. So, that is one good thing about the world of wrestling, is people never retire. CM Punk has made his first public appearance since his AEW firing. 
and he just did a little commentary spot at a local wrestling promotion. But he hinted while he was there that he won't be able to do much for two months until, I guess, when he was fired by AEW, they must have some type of two-month non-compete going. But there's a lot of talk that once those two months are up, he could come to WWE. Now, I don't. if I'm WWE, they just merged with UFC to become the TKO group. They opened up on the stock market on Tuesday, and it's the end of an era. It's the first time a McMahon is not the owner of World Wrestling Entertainment which has been around in some form or fashion since 1950s. So, it's just crazy. I never thought I'd see the day where Vince McMahon wasn't the final decision maker. He still maintains most of his creative control. And Emmanuel Hawani, or the guy, the guy that owns Endeavor, I forget his name. I'm getting him confused with Ariel Hawani, the podcast and journalist. But... The guy that owns Endeavor, he has said that he will defer to Vince on wrestling matters. So as far as the wrestling goes, Vince is still the main shot caller. He just doesn't have the fancy title to go along with it. But I don't think with all this turbulence going on behind the scenes with this new Endeavor deal, they don't need to get in the CM Punk business. He needs to take some time off, collect himself, cool his head, and maybe start doing yoga. Or do something just because he's been nothing but a backstage problem, a backstage nightmare, if you will, to AEW for the last two years. So, I mean, for WWE to bring in somebody like that during this critical crossroads for them as a company turning point I guess is a better word it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense and there will always be demand for a CM Punk return there's no reason you can't just put it on the shelf for now and reach out to Punk in six months to a year but who knows in two months it'll be November which if they sign him and keep it quiet could make for a great Royal Rumble return. So, I mean, never say never. Stranger things have happened. The Rock came back last night, or two nights ago on SmackDown, for a segment with Austin Theory on SmackDown. Nothing too serious came out of it. Just a quick little uh, altercation. Beats up on... Austin Theory says the catchphrases, gets the big reaction. Maybe this will set up for something going forward, maybe with him and Roman, maybe with him and somebody else, but I think it was just a one-off fun appearance that they had because he was on the college football kickoff to watch the Colorado game, and they were in Colorado for SmackDown. So I think it's just his schedule happened to overlap. But... Who knows, if this is the start of something going forward, then I hope that they've got it planned out and that it makes sense.
Now, this will be the last podcast, I think, before Canelo fights Jermel Charlotte. Nope, we got one more podcast before that. But I still stand by what I said last time. I think Canelo's got it, and I think it'll be a great fight. So next week, I'll give you some more in-depth coverage. But with that being said, I'll see y'all next time.